for me, walking across the room means for me to be in a place where God leads me to help someone. And I found that the porch had a volunteer opening, so I went and applied and started doing that. And that's exactly what I've done at the porch is I have met so many new people, so many people now I call my friends, so many people that was their first time to visit Richland Hills. Uh, week after week, I was surprised of how many new people I would meet. To me, walking across the room means reaching out and being a friend. I, I made a friend here who... Uh, accompanied me to Saturday Night Lights when it first started and she really encouraged me to keep going and and to keep coming to Richland Hills Church of Christ and now I bring my friends. Part of the reason we accepted the Lord into our life is because a Bible class reached out to us. We had a uh, Bible group come to our house and look at our nursery that was in the progress of uh, being made for our new baby. They offered to come and and fix it up for us. We didn't expect anything. Uh, They just offered brought a group of people, um, and it just made it look perfect. It was just amazing seeing everybody there helping, working together, people we didn't know, never met before. It was just overwhelming that strangers coming to our house and did such good things for somebody they didn't even know. It just opened up our hearts. I've been participating with Upwards for about three years, and uh, both coaching aspect and refereeing and really enjoy being out there with the kids, getting to see them developing not only athletically but also spiritually in in some of the stuff that we do through Upwards. Uh, I know God is using me to also reach out to those who don't go to the church. We've had several that have been able to get to know us through uh, being out there on the field. I felt like I needed, I had more questions than answers. That's the bottom line. And uh, I felt like this this is a place I could go to to get some of the answers to my questions. What I immediately noticed was all the kids having fun and playing. And I, I thought in my mind how, how, how good this would be for my boys. Immediately I felt that way. So not knowing where I was, I met a member in the church. Actually, he found me in the hallway. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like that was God's way of showing me that uh, I was at the right place. I told him a little bit about myself. He shared a little bit about what he was about with the church, and uh, we're now doing Bible study at my house. So because someone walked across the room, we're now studying about Jesus. It's amazing how many people every week God brings to this church uh, for the first time. And I want you to keep that in mind as we consider this next lesson on identity today. I loved how the last guy on that video clip said, I noticed the kids here were having fun. I love that. I loved meeting a lot of guests during Summer Spectacular who said, my kids can't wait to come to church. They didn't know that church could be fun. I did remind me, though, of a story I heard of a family that went to church one weekend and Afterwards, they went to eat, and the father asked the young six-year-old son to say the prayer, and he prayed, Dear God, we had a good time at church today. You should have been there. (laughs) How many go to the house of God not expecting God to be at home? And when I speak of the house of God, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about us. 
the house of rock. You see, we've been in this series looking at what our identity is in Christ, and part of knowing who we are is knowing where God is. And I think you'll see what I mean as we read our text today from 1 Peter chapter 2, be turning there, and actually, Peter is going to give us a lot of new words for our new identity, but I think they all have a common theme that you'll notice. So let's start in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you notice all through that text, there's this construction theme. He calls us living stones. He says we're being built into a spiritual house. What does all that mean? Well, let's start with that house metaphor. I think it means that God has chosen us to be his new home. Now, you remember that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God brought them to Sinai, he used the words Peter uses. He called them a holy nation. He called them a nation of priests, a chosen people that belong to him now. And so Peter takes all of those words out of the Exodus story, and he applies them to the church. He says, you're the new Israel now. And you remember that when they were at Sinai, it was God's idea to have the people build him a house called the tabernacle, so that he could live among his people. Now, they knew and we know that you can't contain God in a space. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But in some special way, God wanted to locate his presence among his people, so he said, build me a house. So in the Old Testament, they made God a sanctuary. But now Peter says in the New Testament, you are the sanctuary. Look at verse 5. He says, now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. We are not the future home of God. We are currently the house of the rock that God chooses to locate where his people congregate. Now, I don't completely understand this, but God says when my people come together, I choose to manifest my presence there. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians that when the unbeliever comes into your midst, he should fall down and say, God is in this place. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 with me. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And God will bring ruin upon anyone who ruins his temple, for God's temple is holy, and you Christians are that temple. And so, yes, you can be with God in your closet, but there is something that happens when we all get together. And God chooses, because we are his house, to be with us. And you know what I'm talking about. You can think of all the times you've come to church, and you said, man, I just felt God in the place today. And that should happen every time we get together because God likes to locate where his people congregate. Now, it's not because we're special. Because I know most of you and you're not that impressive. (laughs) Notice that Peter did not say, you are a choice people. He said, you are a chosen people. It's only because of the mercy of God That you can now be his house. See, that gives to the idea of the second thing, that we're living stones. See, we're a chosen people, and God hasn't stopped choosing. That means that God's house is still being built. Living stones means God is still building his house. See, that's a wonderful metaphor because we don't think of stones being alive, do we? In fact, we even say he's as cold as a stone. Stone's a metaphor for death. And we were once dead in sin, lifeless to God. But Jesus came along and he made us alive by union with him. And now we're living stones to serve the purpose of Christ. And what is that purpose? Why does Christ need living stones? Because Christ is building a church. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to be able to stop my building it. See, it's interesting to me. The Bible says the essence of the devil is destroyer. He comes to kill and destroy, to tear down, to ruin. The essence of Jesus is builder. He creates, he builds people, he builds a church. I don't think it's a coincidence. He was a carpenter before he was a minister. Jesus is a builder and builders need material. And Jesus says, I'm going to build a church. Now in heaven, he's building a home for us. But on earth, he's building a home for God. And you are the material he's using to build it. See, every time somebody embraces the gospel, they're dead in sin, but they embrace Christ and he quarries that person out of that pit of sin and he takes them and he puts them in his temple. And what's interesting about Jesus, you know, most architects, when they build a building, they want all the stone to look alike. It's all white or it's all red. Not Jesus. He quarries stones out of every possible quarry on earth, every ethnic quarry, every economic quarry. He gets black stones and white stones and old stones and new stones and rich stones and poor stones. And he puts them all together and he makes the most beautiful temple you could possibly imagine. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He says, we're his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. And we who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also joined together 
as part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. See, there was a time when the Jews said, hey, we're his house. We're the only stones God wants to use. Paul says, not anymore. Jesus is going all over the world from every tribe and tongue and nation. He's getting stones to build his home for God. And the gates of hell can't frustrate Jesus' design for his house. But I think we have to be honest and say, it seems like at least in this country, the construction process of God's house is experiencing some very frustrating delays. North America is currently, if you don't count Antarctica, the only continent in the world where Christianity is not growing. God's house is growing and adding stones all over the world. Except here. Why is that? Well, I think our text raises three possible questions that give us clues. Number one, are we having any foundation problems? I think all over the country, temples are trying to build without a cornerstone. See, back in Peter's day, everybody knew the first thing a builder had to do was find a cap or cornerstone. It's the one that gave the direction and the design to the rest of the building. If it was wrong, the whole building was unstable. You had to have a sure, solid cornerstone. So, didn't you find it interesting this week, that survey that was in the Dallas Morning News, it was in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, it was in USA Today, where they polled 35,000 Americans who claimed they're Christians. And 83% responded, I'm not sure Jesus is the only way to God, there are probably a lot of ways, and Jesus is just one of them. 57% of people who said they were evangelical said, I'm not sure Jesus is the only way to God. No wonder the church in North America is not growing. We've got serious foundation problems. We're not sure who our cornerstone is. Now, Peter was. He said, look again at verse 4. Come to Christ, who's the living cornerstone of God's temple." He was rejected by the people, but he's precious to God who chose him. See, for Peter, neutrality is not an option. Jesus is either the cornerstone and the foundation for the church, or he's a stumbling stone that causes men to fall. One or the other, nothing in between. It's Peter who said in Acts 4 verse 12, There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name in all of heaven for people To call on to save them. You need to know. You are at a church. That is absolutely committed to Jesus Christ as foundation. Neutrality is not an option here. We call on everyone in this room. Who has not embraced Christ to do so. And we're going to ask you to come and get in this baptistry. And we're going to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. And are you willing for him to be Lord of your life? If you want to be a part of this church and come join this church, we're going to ask you a question. 
Have you committed to your life to Jesus Christ and do you believe he is who he said he was? The way, the truth, the life and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. We don't apologize for this. We believe at the resurrection that God made it clear that he wants his home built on the foundation of his son. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. About 200 years ago, a young boy lived in England named Edward Moat. You've never heard of him. Didn't grow up in a Christian home, but about the age of 16, he came to Christ and he came full-fledged. Devoted himself to Christ. Now his trade was cabinet maker. He was a very good builder. And he even helped build a church out in a place called Sussex. And he did so much work that the people wanted to deed him the property. He said, I don't want the property, I just want the pulpit. I want to preach Jesus. And as long as I preach Jesus, let me stand in that pulpit. And when I stop preaching Jesus, take me out. And he stayed there until one year before he died for health reasons. He said, the truths I've been preaching, I'm now living upon, and they'll do very well to die upon. Now, like I said, you've never heard Edward Moat. You have heard one of his poems. He wrote a few songs. And one of them is one of our favorites. Listen again to the first verse and realize it was written by a cabinet maker and a builder. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We are staking our eternity on the legitimacy of Jesus as our sure foundation. And if we're going to build the house of rock in this place, that's non-negotiable. But there's another question we need to ask. Are we doing our housework? Because like every good preacher, Peter mixes his metaphors. He says, you're not just passive stones, you're also active servants in the house of rock look at verse 5 again now at the first half of the verse he said that we're living stones but then he says what's more you're God's holy priest who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ so we're not just the stones in the temple we're the priest who serve in the temple In the Old Testament, God's people made God a sanctuary. In the New Testament, God's people are the sanctuary. In the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood. In the New Testament, God's people are the priesthood. Every single one of you that has accepted Christ is a priest of God in his house. Now that has some important implications. Implication number one means everybody here who is a Christian has equal access to God. You don't have to go through a guy in a funny collar. You don't have to pray to Mary. You don't have to go through me or an elder. Every single person who is a Christian could go straight to the throne of God because you're a priest. But the second thing it means is that every single one of you has something to do. 
You see, in the Old Testament, you didn't bring your sacrifices to God. You took your sacrifice to the priest, and the priest took it to God. But in the New Testament, you're the priest. That means you don't wait for other people to do it. You do it. You have housework. That's why I loved it when I got this little note from one of our brand new members. Now, he comes from a background that's very different than ours from a different religious tradition. And so he had a lot of things to kind of work through when he started coming to our church. But here's what attracted him. He writes, I like that RHCC is not just another gathering place on Sundays where we get together to show off our new clothes or get with a certain clique that only a few certain people can belong to. RHCC is truly a place of worship for all, and you spread the message not only by word but by deed. I've never seen such a busy and devoted church. So much so that at first sight, I was actually a bit intimidated by it all, and I thought, Lord, have mercy. If I get mixed up with this group, they may actually want me to do something. (laughs) Yes, we will. Because everybody here is a priest, and priests have something to do in the house of God. Now, let's be real clear about it. What you don't do is offer sacrifices for sin because Jesus has done that once for all. But there are still sacrifices that every priest needs to bring to God in the house. Let me show you what some of them are. One is praise. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess His name. Now, I think praise means more than worship, but I think that's a big part of it. And a big part of worship is singing. And I'll just give you my personal bias. I don't think God hears instruments, and I don't think God hears verbal praise. I think God hears the heart that produces both. And when you come into God's house, He wants your heart poured out 100% in praise, not watching somebody else do it. That's the sacrifice every priest should be bringing to God. Another sacrifice is good works. Very next verse. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God expects every Christian to be doing good and helping somebody. Another sacrifice is our money. In Philippians, Paul thanked the church for sending him financial assistance. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 4, I've received full payment even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Another sacrifice we bring to God are the people that we've introduced to Christ. So Paul writes to the Romans and he says in chapter 15, I bring you the good news and offer you up as a fragrant sacrifice to God so that you might be pure and pleasing to Him by the Holy Spirit. You're priest in the house of God and priests are to stay busy. Priests are always on call in the court of the Lord. You're bringing your praise. You're doing good works. You're bringing people to Christ. You're offering your money. Bottom line is you're offering your lives. Our greatest sacrifice is ourselves. Romans 12 verse 1. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living 
and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? You see, just like living stone seems like a contradiction, so is a living sacrifice. But that's what we are. Because every day we die again. Every day we get back on the altar. Every day we pick up that cross and deny ourselves. That's what priests do. James Calvert was the first missionary to go to the Fiji Islands. It was populated by savages and cannibals. When the boat anchored off the islands, the captain said to him, Sir, if you get off this boat, those people will probably kill you. And Calvert replied, Sir, we died before we came. What God is doing, He's building up a people who are going to help Him rebuild His whole creation. But there's one more thing we've got to ask ourselves. Why is the house of God not growing in our country? Are we doing our housework? Have any foundation problems? Are we keeping the lights on? Who wants to go to a dark house? Why is God giving us such a radical makeover? He's giving us a new identity that through us, his identity might be made known. Look again at verse 9. And Peter says, you're a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And you were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We were chosen to spread light. You see, ever since Genesis 3, God has been the victim of the most malicious, slanderous propaganda campaign in history. And do you know what God wants? A people to tell His side of the story. Most of the word on the street about God is distorted. And God has always wanted a people that would say, go tell my side of the story. But it seems that in most churches today, the lights are off. Did you hear about that guy in 2006 that sold his soul on eBay? His name was Hemet Mehta. He calls himself the friendly atheist. And he offered to attend any church that would bid for his soul. And this one minister in Seattle named Jim Henderson won with $504. And Meta went to his church and they became friends. And it started a process by which in the next year, in four states, he visited 50 Christian churches. And he wrote about it in a book he published last year called I Sold My Soul on eBay. And here is the most disturbing thing I thought in the book. He says not one time in 50 visits did a single Christian initiate a conversation with him. He said, now there was always somebody at the door that would stand and give me a bulletin and an outline. And if I ever walked up and spoke to somebody, they were almost always friendly. But not one time in 50 
churches did one person initiate a conversation with me? And you just saw a video clip that reminds us that every single week God sends people to this campus looking for something real. Are the lights on or off? Paul said in Acts 20, My life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. God's not asking you to condemn anybody. God's not asking you to judge the world. He's just asking you to tell his side of the story. To declare his marvelous deeds. And when we do that, we declare that God's house is a habitat for humanity. That must be our mission. When Jesus called the disciples... You remember, they put out a net, there were no fish in it. So he said, put it back down. And they had more fish than they could pull up. And he said, I'm going to teach you to fish for men. Now, don't you think the implication was, if I can use you to fill up a net of fish, I can use you to fill up God's house with people. You don't know something about God, folks. He doesn't just want a big house. He wants a full house. He even said so. In one of Jesus' parables, he says, the master throws this big party and he wants people to come. And he says, go invite people to come to my party. And people make excuses and people say they're too busy. And they come back and say, we couldn't fill up the place. And the master said, it's in Luke 14, 23, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. God wants a big, full house. That's why I get tickled when people walk up to me and they kind of look suspicious and think, Rick, I I just think that you have an agenda for this church. Well, of course I do. (laughs) If I ever stop having an agenda, I need to resign. And I'll even tell you what my agenda is. It is to see as many as possible, as soon as possible, by all means possible, come into the house of God. That's my agenda. (laughs) And let me tell you what that's going to mean. That's going to mean don't come plain to me because it took you 20 minutes to get off the parking lot. Pray for the day when it takes 30 minutes. That means don't complain to me when we change the service times to make room for more people. Pray for the day when we have eight services on the weekend. That means don't complain when people come and they look different and they smell different and they talk different. Pray for the day when this house looks like heaven's going to look like because that's the agenda. Because God wants a full house. I read this article a few years ago that interviewed a man named Evan Hart, one of the last living survivors of the Titanic disaster. Here's what he remembered the most. He was in lifeboat number 14, one of the very few that were full. He remembers being in the water in those boats, hearing the screams of people begging to be rescued and watching most of the lifeboats ignore them 
They only had 20 lifeboats on the Titanic. That was far too few. But even more tragic, the great majority of the lifeboats were only half full. And the people in the boats wouldn't go back for fear that the folks in the water would swamp the boat. They didn't want other people to rock their boat. We do. We are the house of the rock. And there will always be room for more stones. That's our identity. Let's pray about it. Father, give us today more passion for your passion. To see your temple rise and grow all over the world with stones from every tribe and every nation and every quarry. chiseled out of the pits of sin and placed by Jesus into the house where your glory dwells. Help us, God, recommit to our confidence that Jesus is the foundation, that sacrifice is the way of life, and that it is a blessing to tell your side of the story. And Father, continue to open our eyes to all the people who need to be in your house. Help us walk across the room. Help us walk across the foyer. Help us walk across the class. Help us walk across the hall. Help us walk across the park. Help us walk across the office. Help us walk across the street. So that your house will be full. We ask this because we think it would honor you. And bring glory to Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to sing a song now. And if you have a special prayer burden in your life. We'd like you to go to our chapel. Our elders and ministers will be there to pray with you. And if you're ready to be a part of the house of God, to become a living stone, we're going to ask you to come forward while we sing. We're going to ask you to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized into His name. And we're going to sing about our identity while you come. Let's stand, please.